It's time for episode 175 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February the 8th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, and it's episode 175, so it's a sesquicentepisodic celebration? Something like that. I'm Jason Snell, and across the internet, for me and my co-host, as always on Clockwise, Mr. Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. That was a that was a bit of a mouthful there. Happy 175th. We don't look a day over 42. Right? Exactly. 175 episodes. 85th birthday for John Williams. I feel like we're in good company. <laughs> and uh, people who listen to this podcast know after 175 episodes, totally a well-oiled machine. Anyway, mm. this is Clockwise, where we talk about four technology topics in 30 minutes or less. And we have two wonderful guests, as always, to join us. To my left, uh, host of the Parallel Podcast and a returning guest, Shelly Brisbane. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back on your podcast, Divisible by 25. Can we just say it that way? And to my left, the co-host of the Material Podcast right here on Relay FM and beloved tech columnist, Andy Notko's back. Hi, Andy. Thank you very much, Dan. I feel beloved. All right. So uh, I will get started with our first topic today. YouTube is rolling out currently to its highest subscribing uh, YouTubers, but eventually to everybody. Mobile live streaming. So you can just do YouTube live streaming from your cell phone, wherever you are. And this follows on the success, of course, of things like Facebook Live and Periscope. And I'm just curious to, to all of you, what do you think the role of personal live video streaming is? It's something we can do. But, you know, what's what's it for? What's it good for? And maybe I'm being an old fogey by asking this, but explain explain this to me. What do you think the role of this thing is? Shelley? It feels like every time a new platform makes this available, people get excited about it again because they didn't know they could do it before. I don't know what that's about or the interface is slightly different. And that goes away after a while. I you know, Periscope was a happening thing for a while and it's still around, but it is not what it was. And then Facebook Live came along. Actually, the way I see it used, and that th- seems uh, it's similar to the way people who do amateur podcasting operate. It's either an alternate platform for folks who want to get a word out, the word out to an audience, or in fact, I've actually seen audio podcasts recorded on Facebook Live, which is I know it's about getting engagement, but it's really weird to see people sitting around a table with microphones and, and that's their video. But it does seem like uh, similar to the way uh, not everybody is all in on uh, Twitch and watching people play video games. A lot of these video streaming services seem to be about making it possible for people who who aren't necessarily professional bot broadcasters, podcasters, but who do have an audience. Often it's a fan club of some uh, entity. Uh, I've seen a lot of that kind of stuff. And that, that seems like what it's for. It's, it's an opportunity to communicate with an audience that's bigger than the people in your living room, but not necessarily, thank God, as much about just pointing the camera at yourself and saying, now I'd like to tell you what I think of the <laughs> meal that I just had. I, I think a big part of it, in addition to what Shelly's saying, is sort of the ad hoc nature of it. Because products like this make it so easy to just like launch the app, hit this button, you are live and broadcasting. Um, I think there is a lot of value there, especially, and I'll try to walk this line very carefully, especially in like uh, political or activism situations. Um, I feel like there's a lot to be gained from being able to document things just in general. Um, and, you know, thing having it be that easy to just hit a button and record you know, it sort of turns us all, you know, not exactly into journalists, but at least into witnesses with a, a reliable record in many cases. Um, and I think that's a really powerful tool. I am less convinced on it as sort of a means of 
constant, you know, like sort of like a show or something like that. I think that's tough. Um, but the idea that you can just fire it up and be live immediately is, I think, a big thing for uh, a lot of us who just, you know, looking to document something. And it's probably pretty big for people who have established brands like celebrities, for example, that they can just start broadcasting somewhere and, and garner a lot of engagement. So I, I think as a tool in the arsenal, it's very valuable. I'm not sure that it's a medium in and of itself uh, that is uh, particularly attractive, at least not to me. But I, I think that it's a it's an important thing for us to have in our toolbox. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. The, the, my first thought about that is, you know, power to the people sort of thing. And again, I'll, we'll, we'll dance across that line to avoid this. This is supposed to be a 30 minute podcast. So we'll talk about politics. But it really is important that uh, people have the ability to share what they're seeing with the world. And it can be something as dull as breakfast unless it's really good breakfast. But it can be something if we're not let's talk, not talk about protests. Let's talk about things like there there are people who will go to every city council meeting because it's important that people go to city council meetings and the ability to simply decide, hey, that's cool. I think I'll just hold up. I think I'll just prop up my phone here and the the town doesn't have any sort of a broadcasting strategy, but we can do this right now. And that's when people get more active in their community when they see things happening, even if they what they're seeing happening is a, a Christmas sleigh ride parade that's happening that happens downtown that they didn't they've lived here for, i've lived in this community for like three or four years before i found out that down by the waterfront there's santa comes and is and is in an actual sleigh and there's face painting and there's like mulled cider and like i had to be going for a walk that i didn't want to go for before i figured that out uh the other uh, the other thing about it is that it's intimidating to shoot a video edit a video and post a video and i think that if we have people who are just think hey this is kind of worth sharing with the world they can simply push a button to start push a button to stop and then it's published that will also put more eyes in the ground for things that are beautiful things that are weird things that are interesting and things that are just important to share yeah i think the personal aspect is really interesting i was realizing that uh one thing that i could do with this tech you know and again it's not new it's been on other platforms too but putting it on youtube and and having access to the youtube subscriber list basically uh if you're uh, if you've got a lot of followers is is pretty great you go to my you know my daughter's a, a high school cheerleader and we go to the basketball games and you know you could go there and broadcast the basketball game to family or to people who can't make it to the game and see what's going on and you know you're no longer doing a big tv setup it's literally a person with a phone and they're broadcasting it live you know this is the technology that's in our hands it's pretty amazing um i still am probably not for those who subscribe to me on youtube probably not going to be showing you make a a live shot of me making pizza anytime (laughs) soon but you know never say never this episode of Clockwise brought to you in part by Linode. Linode is fast, powerful hosting for your projects, and you can set it up in just seconds. They have easy-to-understand tools that let you choose your resources in your Linux distro, giving you power and flexibility, which is what you need when you're setting up a server on the internet. And the plan started a mind-bendingly low $10 a month for a 2-gig Linux server in the Linode cloud. These are industry-leading performance servers, native SSD storage, Intel E5 processors, access to Linode's 40-gigabit network. There are nine different data centers spread across the world. Mine's in Dallas, Texas, by the way, giving you the ability to serve your customers quickly. There's an API so you can automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. And there's super simple scaling, allowing you to resize your servers with just a couple of clicks, all manageable via the command line. And all of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap. So there are no ugly billing surprises. As a listener to 
clockwise, you can sign up at linode.com slash clockwise and you'll be supporting us and get $20 toward any Linode plan. There's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit or use the promo code clockwise2017 when you check out. Thank you to Linode for sponsoring Clockwise. Uh, Shelly, what is your topic today? Well, Twitter has instituted another round of controls to eliminate or hopefully uh, prevent abuse, prevent more trolling, because the company has faced a lot of criticism for the openness and the uh, haven it has become for trolls and bad actors. And apparently uh, that led Disney to take a pass on buying the company at one point. So my question for you is, what do you feel about uh, Twitter from your own personal point of view? Has it become a more difficult place to be lately? And what do you think Twitter's role is as a content creator and promoter of your work uh, in your own life, not and and in general, in the and as far as the bigger picture goes, uh, do you think Twitter is doomed, or can it save itself with some of these changes and updates? And what else need to do they need to do to fix things? Is Twitter harder to be on right now? Yes, <laughs> only some of that has to do with the you know prevalence of trolling and uh, people who are just you know want a very large platform to yell at other people. Um, and and part of that fully acknowledged comes you know like I have an easier time than a lot of people do who are minorities or women especially who have had a very tough time in general on Twitter. Um, so you know I certainly can't speak to the experience of that other than what I see from other people, which looks awful. Um, the moves that Twitter is making are welcome, but also it's hard to say exactly how what kind of impact they'll have and whether they'll be enough. Twitter's had a lot of trouble with this over the years, and I think that they've often been slow to respond and very slow to be transparent and communicative about what they're doing. I think I would like to see them be much more vocal and even sort of lay out a roadmap rather than just being like, hey, we're doing some stuff. We'll talk about it next week. And then next week, they're like, well, it's got a couple things here. Um, I think they need to sort of take this head on and really really uh, explain their fundamental philosophy on this going forward if they have one and what they plan to do about it. Uh, and so as terms of like for me, it's still important for me because I do find a lot of my information for work on there. I interact with a lot of people on there socially. It's uh, nice, but I've dialed that back a bit in the current environment. Um, but as someone who has to promote stuff and has a book coming out, like, and wants to, you know, use that for use Twitter because I have a large audience there, like, that's still pretty important for me. So can they be saved for themselves? Maybe. Uh, but I'm not super optimistic about the prospect. This is a, a case where if Twitter uh, weren't quite so greedy about controlling uh, readers, this would be a much easier problem to solve if they made it open season again. Anybody who wants to write their own Twitter Twitter client can do so. There's not going to be a cap on how many uh, Twitter uh, Twitter tokens that this app can generate. Then you would have people who are being super, super aggressive and super, super clever about making sure that every user of Twitter can have the experience that they want. It, Twitter is way too important to let it die or to get it killed off. It's still such an important way for just getting news out there really, really quickly. And like we're talking about with YouTube Live, to get different sets of eyes and ears out in the world reporting what they're seeing and what they're hearing. So, yeah, they have to make sure that people don't feel like they're threatened or in danger. I don't know what exactly the answer to that is, but it really does come down to giving people the power to modify what they're seeing so that they get the experience that they want to have. Yeah, I mean, clearly Twitter has had harassment problems 
problems and abuse problems for a long time, and they have either been unwilling or unable to fix them, which there are, there's, it seems to be unwilling because the, there have been a lot of common sense suggestions people have made that could dramatically reduce har- harassment on the service that Twitter just hasn't made. I, they've said things like this before, so I hope they are serious this time, and I hope they really realize that this is the thing that's devaluing their service. For me, um, Twitter right now is an outrage machine, as far as I can tell, and there are times when I want to tune into the outrage, and there are times where I don't, like for my mental health, I need to not tune into the outrage, and one of the problems I have with Twitter is that it's very hard to manage that, because you know all of us have a combination of things that we're tweeting about, and some of it is outrage, and some of it is not, and so I you know sometimes just don't look at Twitter, because I am not in a place where I can be fed with that stuff. So these days, it's more about just managing the kind of outrage outrage machine and being in a a strong enough um, emotional place, mental place to take it when I can take it and not when I don't. I feel like the new tools that Twitter has announced are more patches in a leaky boat. I don't feel like they have yet come up with an explanation that says this is what this service will allow you to do. This is how you can protect yourself at various levels. Uh, Even Facebook has done a better job than Twitter, and I am not somebody who compliments Facebook very often. Uh, I spend much more time on Twitter than Facebook, uh, not because I'm a glutton for punishment, but because it provides for me what I need, which is a very curated news feed and a very good way to reach an audience that I don't otherwise reach. I have sold books as a self-published author for several years based to a large extent on using that platform, Twitter. And it's been very successful. It's allowed me to meet people and network people with people both online and in real life at conferences and the like. So it's been invaluable to what I do and it continues to be. And uh, one of the reasons I brought this up as some of the uh, folks on this uh, podcast know is that I recently had some bad experience with Twitter and I all of a sudden got whopped upside the head in a way that I had not been before. I found myself in contact with a part of Twitter that I knew existed but never thought I'd have to deal with. And it, it shook me up, frankly. And it wasn't an abuse situation. It was a hack situation. But still, I didn't feel like Twitter was there for me in terms of solving a problem. And I'm somebody who has good security practices and who is a good Twitter user, but it took uh, a lot of heavy lifting to make this thing go away for me. And I can only imagine what that's like for somebody who's experiencing active abuse. I, I do feel like its value as a platform will be its advantage in that way. Too many people rely on it. Too many people actually make material contributions to their incomes and and to their ability to get information and news out. I have I have hopes, but I'm a, a little shaken up by recent personal experience and um, I hope that what Twitter has just done will help, but I don't feel like they're done. I feel like they're going to have to make some more substantive and frankly better explained changes to their service if they're going to continue to have the confidence of users who are experiencing abuse and, and other issues. Dan, what's your topic? Well, uh, interesting news in the set-top box department as Apple has apparently poached Amazon's Fire TV head to be its new uh, VP of product marketing, quote-unquote, for the Apple TV. Uh, My question for you guys, uh, could this improve the Apple TV as a product from what we're seeing right now? And what do you use for your streaming solution, if anything, at the moment? Andy? 
Uh, I'd like to think that they're going to, uh, that he's going to improve, uh, the, uh, uh, the Apple TV. I, it's, I, I bought one last year. Uh, it's in my bedroom and I'm not terribly happy about it for mostly the reasons why some Apple products make me unhappy. It's just, it's really fixed into one idea of how someone is supposed to interact with a streaming media box. Uh, and the latest update where I, now I press the home button and I don't get the apps where I want to directly go to. I get Apple TV's idea of what TV show do I does it think I want to see next? And okay, maybe I do want to see that. Oh wait, it's a TV show that I don't own, and it's not a subscription offer, a, a subscription a thing. I have to now buy this thing if I want to see that. No, nah, thank you very much. So uh, Amazon has been doing a fantastic job of really getting down to how people really use these things, making technology accessible to as many people as possible. My streaming box is actually the Nvidia Shield. Um, I got one for the living room, and I'm actually very very close to buying the new version. Uh, and replacing my bedroom streaming box for it. It runs uh, Android, but it's not necessarily an Android device. It's just that I can do everything I want to do with this thing, including just plug in a hard drive, uh, excuse me, a thumb drive that has 128 gigs of movies that I've, uh, I've, I've copied off of my DVR and just take it with me and have it uh, streaming locally without having to connect to external servers. I can run a web browser on it and it's, I can play really, really good games on it, not just sort of phone games that have been rejiggered for the Apple TV, and it comes with an actual decent remote, a remote that it's got a top and a bottom, and I know which one is which, and I don't have to put it on a special shelf next to my bed on the because it's if I leave it in the bed at some point, I'm going to like shift and it's going to like touch the touchpad and. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so yeah, so that's 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 what I use. There's a lot of improvement that needs to be made to the Apple TV. I, I, maybe Fresh Blood is exactly what they need. Now I'm encouraged by this because if you look at the announcement, what it sort of suggests is that the guy who used to be in charge of the Apple TV is going to be in charge of media deals, and then they brought in a guy who used to be in charge of the Fire TV, who's going to be in charge of Apple TV product marketing, which sounds to me like that involves product conception, and I think that's good. I think it also speaks to maybe one of the reasons the Apple TV has been kind of adrift, which is that they've been focused. At, it's been like an empty box that they fill with media deals. And that's the wrong way, I think, to approach it. And uh, yeah, it's not that the Apple TV is bad. It's that it's got competition that has advantages over it and they're way cheaper. And that is a problem that that Apple right now, I think, is relying on the fact that it's the only place you can get iTunes stuff. It's the only place that's got access to uh, the Apple ecosystem. And it's the only place that does uh, AirPlay. And that's not... uh, uh, that's not a great advantage. It's just your walled off stuff is the only reason to get it. Uh, I, I have one. I use it mostly to rent movies. Um, I find the rental experience more pleasant on it than on my TiVo. But uh, I do, you know, I, I watch Netflix on my TiVo. I, I, most of the streaming stuff I, I, I do, Netflix and Amazon, uh, I watch on my TiVo, which supports those things and not on the Apple TV. So I think there's a lot of potential in that device still. But, the, you know, Apple needs to uh, think of the competition and up its game because right now it's got a an okay product in a game against competitors who can do more and for a lot less. 
I really hope marketing means product conception because that was the thing I keyed on when I saw this announcement. Oh, marketing? That's the problem with the Apple TV? I don't think so. I have an Apple TV and I got it for professional curiosity reasons and I continue to use it for a couple of one, – one major reason is that it is far more accessible than any other of the options. And I use audio description on some occasions and I use uh, speech to navigate the TV and those are available to some extent in Roku and Amazon and I can talk to you later about the limitations of uh, Roku. Uh, but that's kind of why I use it. I don't stream a lot and I think that's for me the only thing that makes the Apple TV bearable because if I did, if I turned that thing on every day and had to navigate through the walls that Apple puts up for me, I'd be really frustrated. All I, When I go to stream, I do it very intentionally. I was like, oh, that show is on Netflix. I will punch that button. Or that show is on Warner Archive. I will punch that button. And by the way, Warner Archive finally came to Apple TV. And that was one reason I was very happy with Apple TV for a while. Uh, but if I were a, a constant streamer and if it were my primary way of consuming television, uh, I would probably be as unhappy as, uh, as many others who have used other devices are. Yeah. Uh, I have an Apple TV. It is my primary streaming device. I switch to a Fire TV occasionally when I need Amazon or when I want to rent a movie on Amazon, but I use the Apple TV most days. It has it has promise. I hope that this will change the sort of conception of it. I believe that the the product marketing at Apple tends to be more like product, uh, like a high level overview of products, like what they should do, what they shouldn't do. That's kind of my read on that department. Um, so I'm kind of hopeful that they will uh, maybe change some course a little bit or do some refinements that will improve things because the Apple TV, as much as I do like it and do use it every day, has a lot of things that make it somewhat frustrating let's say this episode of clockwise brought to you by blue apron the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients for less than ten dollars per meal blue apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh high quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals blue aprons mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while also supporting a more sustainable food system setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs wednesday is my blue apron day as well as my clockwise day so i will be cooking a blue apron meal tonight what will it be i think burgers is one and there's a chinese dish that's the other i don't know i will open the box and find out every blue apron meal comes with a step-by-step easy to follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Their ingredients come from great places. The beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals. Uh, the produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative, regenerative farming. Um, and you can choose from a variety of new recipes every week or let Blue Apron surprise you. Uh, the choice is a great thing because you can uh, go in on their website and say, I like that instead of this. And if you don't like uh, a week's choices, you just skip that week and they don't charge you and you, they come back with more stuff the next week. So you could try out in addition to the burgers or Chinese dishes that I've got, uh, things like baked ricotta cannelloni with romaine salad and Meyer lemon dressing, or an udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental U.S., and there's no weekly commitment. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash clockwise. You will love how good it feels and tastes to make these incredible meals at home. Blueapron.com slash clockwise. Thank you, Blue Apron, for sponsoring Clockwise. Got time for just one more from Andy. 
Okay, well, Google researchers uh, published a paper last week describing a really impressive image enhancement method that compares a blob of blurry, absolutely indistinguishable pixels to millions of blobs generated from known images, then makes comparisons and then synthesizes missing detail in your original photo with surprising levels of accuracy. Uh, it's absolutely likely to be another solution that makes bad photos better, but it's creating synthetic detail. Now, are we in danger of corrupting our own historical record of society? Photos in our grandparents' photo albums presented reality, warts and all. But today, it's trivial to remove the warts and even erase people from photos. We improve the image so that everything's bright and sunny all the time. And we take 50 photos, and we only keep the three in which everybody's smiling and everything's perfect. Whereas before, we can only take one or two. They cost money, so it doesn't matter what we, what cap, what we captured. We're going to have to keep the one that we got. Should we start thinking about protecting our historical records from this kinds of improvement and protect the reality that we're experiencing for our future generations? I think one of the challenges is, yes, there is this unnerving aspect to this, which is images and even video are no longer something that you can really trust as a proof of reality. There was, of course, that demo video of how they can take video of a famous person and then somebody else can sit in front of a video camera and move their face around and it adjusts the famous person's face in live video. Um, it, so, you know, nothing is to be there will be a, a television comedy shows based on that technology within five years, right? It'll, it'll all be there and it'll look like the person, but won't be the person. Um, so I, it's troubling. That said, I'm going to get all philosophical on you here and say that uh, we live life in motion and three dimensions. And any photograph is a two-dimensional freeze frame of a moment in time. And therefore, fundamentally not actually depicting reality anyway. And so on that level, I'm going to say I'm kind of okay with it. I don't love the idea of rewriting history, but at the same time, the photos that we take are meant to be uh, to capture a moment and a memory. They're already not perfect and not entirely accurate. You, you know, that you look at a photo and like, wow, that that I don't remember that person looking like that. And the answer is they only look like that for a fraction of a second and then they look different, but this is the fraction that got captured. So um, I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with the idea that if I can have those misty watercolored memories of the way we were, then great. And uh, But I think we all need to be cognizant of the fact that no image or video at this point is something that we can consider a, a historical fact because they're not anymore. That's just the bottom line. This is one of those questions that's designed to make me hit the comment button on my social media and get all wound up as a as a fan of nostalgia to some extent and history to a greater extent. Uh, I don't like it emotionally and instinctually. It seems wrong if it is applied to material that I count on to be a to be to be accurate and especially in the climate we live in where there are discussions about other kinds of media that uh, may or may not have the provenance that they are supposed to have it's very concerning um and having said that, though, I'm a realist about technology, and if this technology exists, it will be deployed, and we're not going to be able to control it as well as we might like it. So all I can do as an individual is try and figure out ways to um, <laughs> operate around it or not to, not to participate in those reindeer games if I don't want to. But, you know, you don't, you don't get to say, oh, I'm sorry, we'd, not li we'd like to have that technology not exist. That's, that's not really an option. So uh, I, I guess the only 
choice we have is to improve our own and the literacy of the generations that follow us so that their expectations are realistic. And that's what knowledge of technology will do for you. If people understand what is possible and why it is possible, then they can make better decisions about how they want to react to images uh, that are enhanced in this way. Uh, I think Shelley hit on the exact right point there, which is that it's about literacy and about knowing what you're dealing with. Um, and Jason was was basically, I think his overarching point was totally true. And it's sort of an nth level thing because it's, this has always been the case, right? Nothing in the historical record is entirely like, this is fact, because even if you have a picture, well, that picture was framed, right? Like it, it, there is stuff happening outside the purview of that picture that you cannot see. There is a choice that was made to capture this part of this, you know, scene rather than something else. Um, video, audio can tell a different story. Um, all this stuff, even in books, right? Like what was written down in the historical record is hugely framed by the person writing it. So in some sense, we've always had to deal with this possibility that what we view as fact is not is not you know a hard concrete ground to stand on but rather something more quicksandy um so this just takes it to the next level of being like well now you you know you have to be even more vigilant about uh, what you trust as far as information goes and there like shelly said there's no way to uninvent it there's no way to stop this thing from coming into existence or for ultimately being used the important thing is to teach people that this is a thing that can happen and thus you have to constantly be inquisitive and constantly be challenging your own preconceptions about what's going on. So, uh, yeah, it makes stuff harder, but it's the same, same as it ever was. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think that we're, we're helped by the fact that nobody believes that any picture of Stalin is the picture of Stalin that was taken at the time because people tended to leave his favor and then leave this earth you know what I mean? Uh, I'm, uh, but it's but it's something that I'm I am a little bit worried about only because you know I've had the experience of losing my parents and that means that you start going through the, these boxes and boxes of slides and prints and by far my favorite photos aren't the ones where we're posing in front of the kids are posing in front of the Christmas tree because okay they were kids so there's the Christmas tree it's the ones where dad clearly had three or four frames left on the roll and he just wanted to kind of blow through them so he can get to drop off the, uh, the, the, the role, the, uh, the drugstore and get them developed. And those are fascinating because I'm saying, I'm looking at my God, that's what the kitchen looked like in 1978 without, it wasn't Thanksgiving. It wasn't being set up. It wasn't a, a beautiful picture. It was just, there's, there's, there is a, a steak in the, there, there's some steaks in the, uh, in the sink that are defrosting. There's like a towel that's just been used. That's hanging on the, on the, on the door of the fridge. Those are wonderful. I just hope we don't, uh, lose access to those things. Uh, I think that any danger that we're in of losing that kind of legacy is offset by the fact that we do take so many damn photos and they're all being backed up someplace. So even if space aliens that want to sell us uh, car tires uh, will be able to access that some that stuff 100 or 200 or 1,000 years in the future. Ah, well, thank you for that, Andy. Very interesting topic. Um, that's our fourth topic. Jason, do we have enough time for a bonus topic? Nope. All right, then. Well, all that's left, then, is for us to thank our wonderful guests. Uh, Andy and Akko, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. It's been a blast. And Shelly Brisbane, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, Dan, we'll be back next week for It Won't Be Sesquicent Podcast Deal next time, but it'll still be a, <laughs> a, an episode of Clockwise that we'll be back for next week. So uh, uh, until then, though, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.